This week, we are delighted to welcome Paul Orlando to the podcast. Paul has a background in tech, having co-founded a number of successful startup accelerator programs around the world, and is also the incubator director and adjunct professor of entrepreneurship at the University of Southern California. He has also found time to co-found a B2B startup, consulted at Fortune 500 firms, and had his work featured in Forbes, Fast Company, TechCrunch, Wall Street Journal, and more. Since 2018, he's been writing the excellent Unintended Consequences blog, which the editor of the browser described as one of his favorite reads. In this episode, Paul explains unintended consequences, complex systems, and second-order thinking using bizarre stories involving cobras, rats, and other animals. You'll discover how easy it is to implement solutions to solve problems that actually end up making them worse, as well as recognizing how decisions in one domain can unintentionally end up positively or negatively impacting others. Paul also offers tips on how to think more broadly about the potential consequences of the decisions you make. We hope you enjoy listening. First thing to say, welcome, Paul, to the to the podcast. It's a, a real pleasure to have you on. Um, and I'll start by saying I'm very jealous that you're in sunny California and I'm here in in cold grey London. Oh no! Well, um, if it's any consolation, you know uh, it does get a little chilly here at night. I, I had to put a light sweater on. A know, light sweater. Thank yeah, you. a light, light sweater. Yeah, but but thank you for having me on, Jake. This is. Um, you know, it's great to you know, talk to you again, and um, yeah, very very happy to uh, sit down again with you. Yeah, yeah no, thank you. And um, yeah, you you write an excellent blog, um, unintendedconsequences.es, where you kind of write about these fascinating topics of unintended consequences, systems, and second order thinking. And I guess for those listening that are kind of new to these topics, they've probably heard these these words but aren't entirely sure what they mean. Um, I guess it'd be really helpful to give a, a sort of a brief introduction to, to each one. Oh, good, good. So um, unintended consequences, you know, this is a term that we often, you know, we hear, or we toss it around. Um, and basically, it, you know, it means there are outcomes from an action that we did not intend or expect. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the Probably the, the reality is this is the normal state of the world. There's often something that happens that was unexpected. And, um, and yet we often go about our lives as though, you know, we don't have to, we don't have to consider you know, the, these potential outcomes that we don't really need to focus on them or, or even try to learn from them or understand them. So I did, um, you know, I, I started writing this blog. Um, Unintended, you know, if you just search unintended consequences blog, you know, you, you should find it. Um, and of course, when I first set it up, um, you know, I set the whole thing up in a day after a little, you know, spark of inspiration. And of course, I chose the, you know, the two very long and difficult to spell words, you know, <laughs> a, you know very unwieldy domain name. But, um, but it, it, you know, uh, served me, you know, uh, you know fine. Um, but uh, that's been my, my focus in, in writing and, in, and speaking on this topic. And, um, you know, beyond unintended consequences, just to lay a, you know, a little bit of a framework as we start the talk, mm-hmm. um, there's also a lot of overlap with systems thinking mm-hmm. and, you know, just understanding, okay, what, what are systems or if we're assessing a, say, a, um, a new policy or a new technological development, you know, how might the current system change? Mm-hmm. You know, and then we're kind of, you know, we, we might just start trying to assess that without any regard for, okay, is this better or worse? Mm-hmm. Leave that aside, you know, if, if possible in the beginning, just try to understand, well, what is that system? Mm-hmm. How might it change with this new introduction? Mm-hmm. And what can we then learn from? What might we want to, you know, try to guard against happening? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, if we kind of take another step in, you know, what, what is a system? Um, and I often find, you know, even describing a system to be a little challenging, but, you know, basically this is you know, a group of interacting parts mm-hmm. that form a whole, 
of some mm -hmm. sort. You know, there is no there is no completely closed off uh, system, I suppose. Yeah, everything has some level of connectedness. But um, but yeah, you would consider okay, there's a boundary of some type. Um, but also just to understand a system as we're looking at it, we also need to simplify it to make it manageable. Mm -hmm. um, and that's often a problem. You know, this is like the old, um, like there's a story, um, Jorge Luis Borges story about the, uh, you know, the um, a map of the territory that was made and it's the exact size of the territory, you know, because that's the only way that you can get pure accuracy to make it just as big as the territory you're trying to describe. So, um, so obviously, truly describing what is in a system um, and the interrelated, you know, the, you know, the interrelatedness of the different parts is challenging. Mm -hmm. But um, in this process, we might, you know, try to simplify things just to help us make it manageable and, and try to assess might, you know, what the changes might be. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you, you know, this, the, the third part, um, second order thinking, so that is something that, you know, I, uh, I'll use that phrase a lot, others use that phrase. Mm -hmm. um, again, connected to, you know, unattended consequences or systems, you know, second order thinking really means, well, if the first order <laughs> is um, what does happen as a result of the action, mm -hmm. what we expect to happen, the second order is what happens as a result of that first outcome. Mm -hmm. Um, and that is often where you get the surprises. So mm -hmm. the second order or third order and you know beyond effects, those are the things that you know surprise us. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, there's you know, you know, different examples of that um, happening. You know, in other words, you know, some again, some unintended consequence after a you know, new policy, you know, some mm -hmm. you know, change of some type that um, is surprising. Might mm -hmm. be good, might be bad, but you know, it's surprising. And so um, you know, I, I try to train myself to think about second order effects. I certainly write about them a lot. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, uh, I, I'd say these, you know, these three kind of interrelated, you know, definitions that we were speaking about now, um, you know, we're day to day, we're probably not really rewarded for thinking about these things, mm -hmm. um, at least not immediately. However, long-term, I think this is very beneficial um, you know, to, to think about you know, the whole. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense, particularly as you say with, with kind of policy making, because a lot of the decisions made the, the second or third order effects don't necessarily mm -hmm. manifest until much, much later. Um, exactly. But uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I first came across this topic, I think probably how a lot of people come across it of that, you know, that's the, the Cobra effect or the story about um, British colonial India, where they had this uh, situation with too many cobras in, in Delhi, I think it was. And in order to kind of cull the population, they put a bounty. Um, mm -hmm. and, and that sounds like a very kind of sensible plan. Um, but then what happened is obviously the locals realized that they could make money by, by breeding these, these uh, cobras. And in the end, I think mm -hmm. the problem ended up becoming worse because when, once they realized that the all these extra cobras were there the the british stopped paying the bounty and then of course they then released all of these extra cobras yeah. into the system so i guess that was maybe a good example of of a sort that's of un it. unintended consequence right that, that's what we call um in terms of a type of unintended consequence that's what we call uh perverse results okay. so i'm trying to improve outcome you know a but I take this action and I actually make that specific, you know, problem even worse right. you know, than it was. And um, the interesting thing for me with examples of that type of unintended consequence, you know, cobra effect, um, they uh, they often involve animals. You know, interestingly, right. like the, the three famous examples are you mentioned the cobra right. example, um, which. Um, as far as we know, actually, interestingly, like it is a famous example, but it you know probably never really happened. Right. Uh, but it's a but it's a it's a it's a very you know apt example. Um, but there's another example where there is a bit more history behind it of um, you know rats in French colonial Vietnam. Right. And again, uh, the attempt to wipe out the rat population because it was spreading you know bubonic plague in the mm. uh, you know 1800s. Um, and also uh, feral pigs in the U.S., you know, in different parts of the U.S. Um, but the interesting thing about that, is, uh, for me, 
when I was looking at um, you know that Cobra effect you know issue, mm. um, I the, the or or the thing that what I what I might suggest to people in that situation would be understand the biology of the animals that you're trying to you know uh, impact uh, yeah. get rid of you know that you're trying yeah. to you know, right you're trying to reduce. Um, so uh, I actually I wrote a piece. This is one of the first pieces that I wrote a couple of years ago. And um, I ended up looking into the reproductive cycles of cobras, of rats, of feral oh, wow. pigs. Um, in other words, I believe that you could structure a reward system where, you know, if it's you, you show up with the cobra skin or the, you know, the dead rat or the rat tail, um, you could structure a reward system that's based on the reproductive cycle. So, in, you know, in the sense of cobras, Interesting. Um, I think they take like four years, five years to reach maturity. Right. So, um, but you know, the eggs can hatch after just a, you know maybe ninety days, or like they, that that cycle I think is you know whatever conception to hatched egg and maybe ninety days if I remember right. So you might actually be able to structure something where okay, I pay this bounty for two months, right, and then I stop, right. or I pay it on a random schedule. So I, so if you want to game the system. And right. raise cobras, like in the example. Um, if you want to game the system, it's impossible to really say like, oh, when should I have these you know, cobras you know, ready to go because you know I'm going to get you know I'm going to be paid. Um, so I actually think there there might be ways that you could improve an example like that. But but that is that cobra effect example is you know um, it's it's great because it is so visual, right? You're yeah. Like, oh, right. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think it's for that reason it kind of got me interested in. It's funny you mentioned the animals because I I have heard of the rats example. I think in in Hanoi, um, I I think I did read a, about the feral pigs too. But the the one I um I also found really interesting, and I guess I mean you may correct me. It sort of fits under the same umbrella. But in in Australia with uh, cane toads, I don't know if you've mm. heard about that. Yes. Um, yeah. Where I, I can't remember when it was exactly, but let's say it was, you know, 50, 60 years ago, they wanted to stop this particular type of, I guess it was an aphid or something, eating the cane crop, mostly in mm -hmm. uh, Queensland, where they grow a lot of sugar cane. And, and so they decided to import this cane toad from South mm -hmm. America, I think it was, where they thought, oh, perfect solution. They'll eat all the bugs and we won't have right. any of our crop destroyed. And then these cane toads ended up not not doing that intended job and mm -hmm. instead reproduced in extraordinary numbers. And now they have, I think over a billion cane toads, you know, all over Queensland and even in other parts of Australia. That example, uh, in fact, there's many examples from Australia of right. um, this type of perverse effect with animals. Um, I guess because Australia was you know, pretty isolated for a long right. time. And then, you know, the colonists show up and they start introducing, you know, other, other animals that were not there. But, but the cane toad example um, uh, is a, another great one. It's also interesting because not only did you get, so uh, there, there was very little study you know, in what would actually happen, right? The, um, it was actually a beetle, if I remember right, that they were trying to That's right. um, yeah. affect. But the beetle would go after the roots of the sugar cane. So in other words, it would burrow underground, right. not where the toad was, uh, you know, living, uh, yeah. you know, going. So, um, so right, they import this toad to eat the beetles, which it never does. And then even <laughs> worse, the toad is poisonous. So local predators in Australia would say, oh, I'm going to eat this toad. And they would get sick and die from eating the toad. Mm. So there's actually a um, there is a like a um, uh, a group in Australia that tries to train animals to like predators to be wary of these toads by giving them like a little taste. So they oh, get just a little sick. You know, they learn, oh, I can't eat that; that's poisonous, and then they avoid the toad. That's but um, yeah. It, uh, there have been another uh, a, a number of um, I'll say animal introductions that have led to effects like this. Like there's another um, effect that was I believe unintentional in uh, Guam mm -hmm. with uh, I think it's called the brown tree snake. Right. And this was a snake that was hitching a ride, you know, on you know cargo in a in an airplane, and you know you okay. unload it. And the snakes would just come out. But uh, again, you know uh, this snake shows up on this isolated island 
and it starts to eat the, um, I believe it was eating, um, you know, uh, bird eggs. Right. You know, that, um, you know, that formerly did not have a predator. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there are like, there's many ways that you get this kind of impact uh, in the environment. Sometimes it's from active, you know, human, uh, you know, uh, uh, human activity. Sometimes it's, well, the humans are just moving things around and an animal hitches a ride. Mm. But the, um, the most interesting or I don't know, funny is the right word, you know, but the most interesting one for me in looking at examples like this involving animals anyway, was an example from um, actually from New York in the late 1800s. There was a man, um, Eugene Shifflin was his name. Right name. And he uh, was an eccentric. You know, he was also a member of um, uh, an acclimatization society. So that's um, that's a type of a club that has long since disappeared. But there used to be these societies that mm-hmm. had a goal of introducing animals from one part of the world to another, and not based on anything related to like the study of these animals, <laughs> merely because oh, it'd be fun to have you know this animal over there, like, or maybe, maybe, you know, people would like to eat this, you know, animal, like not, not really a serious, you know, like scientific study. And uh, being an eccentric, he wanted to introduce into North America, every bird that Shakespeare had ever written about. Oh, wow. So there's, I don't know, 50 or so birds that appear, you know, in a Shakespeare play or something. Right. And um, one that did not exist in North America at the time was the starling. Okay. And uh, I think there's only like one mention of a starling, like Henry the Fourth, in you know in, in Shakespeare. But because of that, you know, um, Shifflin brings I don't know fifty or a hundred starlings into the U.S. and releases them. And you know, the starling was not a bird that had presence in North okay. America. You know, now there are you know billions of them they do incredible amounts of damage um you know and that's that's an example where we're talking about the cane toad you know like imagine like the the speed of hopping across uh you know, australia if you have wings you know you can cover even more ground that, that's true, um, yeah. so yeah so there's there's many examples involving animals where oh i thought that was just fun i'm just in, introducing a starling and i'll enjoy yeah. seeing them out my window but but I also, you know, introduce all this damage to agriculture and, you know, and other existing ecosystems that are you know, already there. Um, yeah. Oh, I, I, I love that example. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny how they're all, so many of them seem to be connected to, to animals. And I guess, yeah. you know, the same point is, you know, ecosystems are complex systems very obviously. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of clearly, you know, we, in introducing birds or, cane toads or whatever it was is, is sort of failing to even understand on a basic level how that that system works and how introducing things like that might you know destabilize it or cause unintended consequences i guess um mm-hmm. and you mentioned you know the cane toad and the the cobra effect are kind of examples of you know perverse results um from unintended consequences but they um they're also kind of unexpected benefits, aren't there? And also mm. the, the flip side, unexpected drawbacks. Exactly. Yeah. So um, un- unexpected benefits um, are when we try to improve some type of situation and through that action or through some event, something else gets better. And it was outside of the realm of our consideration. So um you know, you might uh, take some examples being, um, you know, with the um, uh, discovery of uh, aspirin and the benefits of, you know, that, you know, mm-hmm. aspirin goes back over 100 years. Um, it was later discovered that, you know, there might be some uh, heart disease, you know, mm-hmm. benefits from people taking, you know, that drug. Mm-hmm. Um, not what the intention was, and it was kind of an accidental discovery, you know, along <laughs> the way. Um, you know, Interestingly, you know, people might make a, like, there's a, a similar argument being made more and more now with uh, video games, you know, okay. video games are a waste of time. And yet people also say, oh, but they also can teach uh, strategic thinking and, you know, teamwork. 
Um, and you know, there's actually, uh, very interestingly, um, more universities seem to be creating esports teams. Mm. Um, and it's also probably something that um, just has grown naturally out of a remote first environment, you know, with COVID. Um, but, you know, maybe we don't have as many, you know, the in-person sports, but we can still have a, well, I guess we right. call it a sports, you know, an e-sport. Um, and maybe there's some other benefit you know, that, you know, of strategic thinking or, or you know, teamwork that comes out of that. Um, and then, and then actually going back to the animal example, like a, another type of unattended uh, or unexpected benefit that comes, um, where we have a number of examples has been where there has been a traumatic event. Mm -hmm. So a large war, a, um, you know, uh, where, where a no man's land is created basically. Mm -hmm. So, you know, between the boundaries of North and South Korea, um, mm -hmm. even today in France, there is the, uh, the zone rouge, which is, mm -hmm. you know, considered uninhabitable. It was just shelled so much during World War One, over a hundred right. years, but, but it's still, you know, there's still so much unexploded ordinance there that, um, you know, that it's, it's like off limits. Right. Um, Chernobyl you know, is another example of that. Um, you know, you have the unintended creation of these nature preserves. And so you get, you know, um, you know, animals that go back into an area because, well, no people are going there, you know, right. and eventually it's reclaimed by nature. So as awful as the path to getting to that, you know, place, you actually perhaps have this good effect that happens. It wasn't really planned, but um, but it it actually does happen. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. I mean, um, co correct me if I'm wrong, but would uh, would in this kind of recent case with with all all of this uh, COVID stuff and disruption around the world, that um, one thing that a lot of people have been talking about is dramatic reductions in in flu and mm. in, in seasonal mm. flu, um, because obviously people are socially distancing, washing their hands. Um, and so, I mean, I think in the UK, there was some stats saying it's down by like 95% or something unbelievable. And obviously, you know, that is something that does sadly, you know, kill um, particularly elderly people in, in reasonable numbers. Yep. Um, so would that be an example of a unexpected benefit? Uh, very well could be. Yeah, very well could be that. Um, and that's, it's also good just to think through that, you know, so you have a behavior change that comes mm -hmm. along because, you know, because of coronavirus. Um, and so, yeah, any, I mean, I, I, I feel it myself, you know, I, I haven't had um, a cold, you know, for the last year, um, you know, I have uh, little kids and so they would be bringing things back from, uh, you know, their classmates. Right. I don't have that. Um, I don't have that now. So um, yeah, it is. It is uh, interesting how that that takes place. Mm. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I just uh, I just wondered if that was a, a good example. And then the flip side was, um, I think you called it unexpected drawbacks. How 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 is that difference from from the perverse results? So unexpected drawback is when. Um, so the perverse result is I'm trying to improve situation A and I actually make that situation worse. Unexpected drawback is external. So I'm trying to improve right. problem A, but B gets worse. Okay. And that's like outside of what I'm considering. Um, so, you know, I don't know, maybe you can talk through, um, you know, some ideas around this one, but, mm. um, but it's, uh, this one can be the most problematic because um, if the people acting on say problem you know, A mm -hmm. don't have to consider you know, problem B because that's like outside of their, their um, how they're being rewarded or you know, mm -hmm. um, this can be a problem. So um, I might give an example actually we'll move away from the, uh, the natural world examples and I'll go to something more tech related. So um, a number of large startups, so companies that grow really quickly, right. Uber, Lyft, um, Airbnb, you know, being um, some examples of startups that have emerged over the last 10 to 12 years. Um, for them, you know, a lot of the story is around, well, if it's rideshare, you know, transportation, hey, I am 
making uh, transportation more accessible. It's cheaper. It's better than taking a taxi. Mm -hmm. um, and again, you think of the, the disruption to the overall system. So in, and I'll, I'll use an example from New York since I, you know, I'm from New York, even though now I'm in California, but um, in New York City, the taxi um, you know, market was, um, there was, it was kept capped at 13,000 taxi medallions. This okay. is for the last 80 years. Um, you know, you go back in time, you had the same number of taxis, you know, even with population increases, even with, you know, more wealth. And it's not a great solution, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's kept, it was kept that way because of, you know, lobbying, special interests, you know, wasn't a great solution. And, and the medallion is effectively oh, sorry. a license, right? It's a license. Exactly. Operate it's, a cab. Yeah, yeah. It, if you ever have ridden in a yellow cab in New York, it's literally like bolted onto the hood of the car. It's like a little badge. But yep. it, it means it means like I can't paint my car yellow and just you know call myself a taxi. I have to, you know, have a medallion. Yep. And people would invest in medallions. Uh, they actually were a um, an investment vehicle that would mirror like bonds. You know, basically wow. they would you know, fluctuate with the interest rate because you know, it's like oh I'm I'm buying I'm buying the right to drive this you know taxi or to lease it. That gives me the right to earn. Uh, this money from um, you know, taking people around. Mm -hmm. Nobody else can do that. <laughs> so it's quite predictable and it would fluctuate with the interest rate. And because it, it was a fixed amount, obviously, as well. So Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's unchanging amount. And all of a sudden you have these new entrants show up in the form of Uber and Lyft. And I mean, they they do kind of just show up, right? They, they did not have the you know permission from the municipality that they could operate, but but um, a tactic was we go in strong, there's public opinion that supports us. Nobody really wants to defend these dirty old you know, New York City you know, taxis that are expensive and you know, the drivers aren't great. Right? So they show up and the improvement to transportation for the rider is definitely there. Mm -hmm. I don't have to wait and stick my arm out on the street and hope a, a taxi drives by. I just mm -hmm. tap my phone and a car comes over. I don't have to carry cash. Mm -hmm. um, it's less expensive. You know, even if it's pouring rain, you know, I could probably get a car because more people start to drive. Right. So, right. so it is an improvement on transportation. Mm -hmm. What happens though is this other group does get affected, and the other group in this case is well closely related. Related. It's the people who own medallions. Mm. Many of them are drivers. Many of them are also like just investors, but they own these medallions. And all of a sudden you see the, the in many cases, the single most um, you know, valuable asset <laughs> that you have plummet in values. Wow. Uh, like, you know, people would expect, oh, I'm gonna retire when I, when I sell my medallion, like I, I right. have a, I'll have the savings to retire. Um, and that goes away. Wow. So, uh, you know, so how do you, I mean, how do you judge that situation? Well, do you judge it based on, well, for the majority of the population, things did get better. Mm -hmm. Or do you say, but there is this small group mm -hmm. who, you know, things got dramatically worse mm -hmm. you know, very suddenly through no fault of their own. Um, that's, a, that's a great story. And that, and that must happen, as you say, it must happen all the time with this kind of tech disruption where you know, an established industry has operated fairly consistently for yeah. a long period of time and probably has similar equivalents to the, the New York medallion. Yeah. Um, and then suddenly someone comes along, totally changes the game. And it's like, well, who, who's at fault really? Like, um, mm. and as you said, it's, it's two completely different entities with different motivations, um, different value systems. And, and, and I'm not saying, oh, well, therefore stop any innovation, mm. you know, or like, you know, make no changes. I'm not saying that, um, you know, to be honest, I personally, I benefit much more from there being mm -hmm. companies like Uber and Lyft or Airbnb. I like, I personally benefit much more from that because I have been a customer of that. Not so much, mm -hmm. you know, recent, you know, re this recent year, but, um, I, but I've certainly have benefited from that. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying don't allow any change, but, um, but I am saying, okay, we have these, you know, basically these natural experiments that are always taking place. Mm -hmm. We should, if we're going to do anything intentionally, 
as in like there's a government policy or there is, you know, maybe for um, any institution that is long-term thinking, you might consider, okay, if I do go down this path, can I, can I back up if I need to? Mm. Or am I actually really just breaking an existing system? Mm-hmm. Um, is it worth, you know, you know, what is the trade-off? Is it worth me, you know, um, disrupting this group of people for the benefit of this other group? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not saying like, don't change anything. Of course, you know, society is always, you know, continuing to improve in a generally a kind of a messy way, you know, mm-hmm. but con- continuing to improve, um, because we are, you know, trying out new things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm really just saying we should, we should appreciate those changes and the systems that we're changing and, you know, learn from that. And then where we want be a little more careful. Yeah. And as you say, you know, be aware of the the trade-offs involved and I mean I when I think about unexpected drawbacks when you kind of explained it you know immediately my mind went to you know I think it's a term from economics but externalities yeah. and I don't know if that's the same same thing but you know you could argue that there are loads of companies out there um, doing things that then have a particularly bad impact on you know, the environment or the community or whatever it is, but because their incentives aren't aligned with that, you know, other thing, um, mm. it, it just kind of get, the problem gets outsourced to that, that, ex, that external uh, group or, or person. Yes, that's it. Yeah. That's it. Um, and uh, I guess climate change might be the ultimate example of that. And no, absolutely. Um, and it's also a very difficult one because you need like global cooperation to really do anything meaningful. Mm. Um, you, know, you can't just have like one country or a handful of countries um, mm. start to change. Mm. But um, it, I mean, it, it will be kind of ironic if we'll see one of the great benefits. I think we're already seeing this, but one of the one of the you know benefits in the terrible you know last year mm. with the coronavirus has been well there are these environmental benefits mm. um, and i think um i didn't read the whole thing yet but uh, i believe there was a study that came out maybe just a week or so ago showing like there's a drip like the last year has you know produced the like the, the most you know the most improvements in terms of like emissions outputs yeah. and, um because you know so many fewer you know airplanes flying and, and cars driving yeah, yeah I, I um I think I may have yeah re- read a similar article. I I I do um I do recall that and it was the same from memory um when you know when we had the the global financial crisis in sort of 2008 I remember there being similar articles saying that mm-hmm. you know, the reduction in in people you know traveling for work and things like that had actually meant it was like the first year that the kind of CO2 was less than the previous year um so yeah, I guess that's another great example of a unexpected benefit um, right, right. Of, of, of the terrible situation that we've been in this last year or so. Um, yeah. And then um, I guess going back to kind of unintended consequences and the kind of sources of those consequences, like what are the, I think you mentioned to me this um, Merton's five causes, mm-hmm. I think it was. Um, mm-hmm. What what exact what exactly are those and like, you know, how do they manifest? So um, Robert Merton yeah wrote a paper about this um, I believe like in the nineteen thirties and he outlined um, five causes of unintended consequences. Um, it's not a complete list, but his list was um, error, mm-hmm. basic values, short term versus long term interests. Uh, ignorance and what he calls the self-defeating prophecy. And I've actually written about all five of those, but um, I'll just give maybe a, a, a couple examples. Yeah. Um, and then we can talk about, you know, some other causes, but the, um, the, uh, the error, you know, example. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's um, uh, a number of people have written about, or like, you know, uh, uh, discussed, well, um, the world seems to be getting safer. Oh uh, yeah. So, um, you know, violent, um, you know, crime is way down. The, the impact on that in terms of like, deaths from violence 
whether it's war, whether it's, you know, um, more personal, um, that seems to be, you know, uh, declining over the centuries, not just mm -hmm. like last few years, but it's like, that's a trend, you know, over centuries. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a couple of, uh, I'll say, errors with that uh, view. You know, one is that, well, we're just looking at bad data. So mm -hmm. centuries past, you know, the data collection was um, sometimes exaggerated. So like, you know, part of the data in that, um, you know, data set from, mm -hmm. you know, you know, past centuries or millennia was actually, uh, like it actually included uh, like Mongol invasions, you know, from right. 800 years ago, where uh, both the victors and the victims would, would exaggerate like the number of deaths. That's the belief anyway. Um, and then of course, you know, very recent history, you know, last you know century is you have, you know, massive world wars like for the mm. first time, and so mm. like how could we be saying like the world is you know getting safer, mm -hmm. um, and so like you know part of it is actually like you're looking at some bad data, but you're also ignoring the fact that things are more connected now. So mm. whereas in the past you could have a pocket of the world that was in very bad shape, mm. and then travel, you know. A relatively short distance, at least modern, you know, in modern terms, mm -hmm. um, and it would be a very different situation. Now, mm -hmm. like a problem in one part of the world can start to pull many different regions into mm -hmm. play and it expands. And that, I mean, that that is basically the story of World War One. Like, you know, mm -hmm. um, yeah. the Archduke's driver makes a wrong turn, you know, he's assassinated, right. it spirals out of control. Nobody wanted to get into that situation, and yet you have the first, you know, World War. Um, the other you know, uh, issue with this is, again, you know, data related, you know, the error side is mm -hmm. um, the, um, so when we look at say a decline in a death rate mm -hmm. that's caused by some violent act, um, what was not considered in a lot of these assessments was, well, medical practices have actually improved over right. time. So if I'm saving most of the people who formerly would have not survived, right? You know, I'm actually, I'm telling a story that's not completely, you know, accurate. I'm making mm. that mistake. So, um, yeah, like uh, that's one. That's one where it's a combination of like, um, you know, the error of looking at you know data mm -hmm. or poor data or looking at the you know the data incorrectly, um, but also like that connectivity piece was missing. Um, yeah, and I guess the consistency of uh, describing or defining the data you're collecting, right? Yeah, like it's it's almost it's almost uh, guaranteed that that would not have been consistent over over time. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, right. so that's 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 errors. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, basic values, you know, is another mm -hmm. one. May I touch upon? So this is where you know we have these beliefs. Mm -hmm. You know, we just believe something is the right thing to do. And we are going to act on that belief, um, you know, because it is just, it, it would, doing otherwise would be just, you know, impossible for us. It would be right. terrible, you know, to even consider. Um, so I'll, I'll mention one that is, um, you know, where there are, I'll say companies or individuals who truly believe they're doing something good, but then something, you know, bad comes out of it. So mm -hmm. um, on the basic value side, there are businesses that do the, um, it's called like, you know, buy one, give one yeah. model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so like Tom's you know, sandals or whatever. Yeah, so exactly, yeah. Tom's, um, there's a number, number of companies that do this. And so the model basically is um, if you as a consumer in the, you know, the rich world, you know, buy this product, mm -hmm. we, the business will donate one to someone um, in a developing economy. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, it sounds very, you know, admirable. It's, you know, I have this value of, I just want the right thing to happen. I want people to get shoes, right? right no matter right. where they are, if they can't afford them. Right. And, and then what, what can happen, of course, is if you do this with a shoe model, like, and you show up with a container load of free shoes in right. some other country, not your market, but some other country, you know, you destroy the local <laughs> uh, shoe, shoe business. Shoe business, so, yeah. Yeah. So, um, like we're just following our basic values. We leave everybody needs a pair of shoes. That's but fascinating. I don't care that I destroy somebody else's business in some other country, you know, far away from me. 
Um, that's a really, that's a really fascinating example. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, again, it'd be hard to argue with like, it sounds like a brilliant idea, right? Giving free shoes to people in, in developing countries. And like, uh, I mean, e even I've fallen victim to that marketing because mm. I've, I've bought a pair of those, those Tom sandals before um, thinking, mm. oh, well, that's a nice Mm -hmm. side benefit of me of me buying the shoes but as you say it, 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 I would never have taken into account the possibility that it actually destroyed the local shoe market in uh, overseas yeah yeah um and then tell you what I'll, I'll rather than go through all five I'll, I'll yeah. skip and I'll, I'll add a couple more uh, yeah to sure the list. so beyond those five um so Merton wrote like a great paper about this from the thirties, but he, but he also, I guess, wasn't, and I think generally people were less, um, they were considering some other factors a little less. So oh, another one is uh, scaling. Mm -hmm. So uh, like, you know, growth, fast growth. So right. that's where, you know, you go from this thing does not exist to in just a short amount of time, like, wow, it's everywhere. So that, you know, that kind of goes back to the, the Uber example, right. the Airbnb example. Right. Um, you know, relatively short number of years, <clears throat> you know, now they're everywhere. Mm -hmm. And, um, and out of that, you get that disruption, either the, the taxi medallion example, or, or you know, with Airbnb, um, there are uh, resort towns or like relatively small cities that are, you know, picturesque, mm -hmm. where now if, if you live there and you rent, like you, it's hard to get a 12 month lease, right? Because the landlord says, well, during the busy season, I'll make more money than if I put this, right. you know, property out for 12 months. Um, you know, totally outside of what Airbnb, you know, intended, I'll say, but that scaling effect happen, happens. Um, connectivity is another one. Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, I wrote about this related to surveillance and the growth of surveillance technology and, you know, saying that, you know, combination of factors, you know, more powerful processors, better and cheaper cameras, mm -hmm. network systems um, that leads to development, you know, AI, you know, facial recognition, AI, you know, just it leads to inevitability of surveillance, you mm -hmm. know, being, um, you know, more popular around the world. Mm -hmm. um, emergence is another, you know, category, I'll say that uh, where we're, we are bound to be uh, surprised. Mm -hmm. This, you know, you might say, um, uh, I'll give an example from the U.S., you know, especially relevant over the last few years in California, you know, in the U.S., <clears throat> there's been a, um, a federal policy of trying to suppress wildfire, uh, wildfires for more than 100 years. So, um, you know, even like you know, a century ago, you know, the mm -hmm. Forest Department would go in, they would fight forest fires, they would, you know, um, you know, take other actions to try to, um, to save, you know, uh, forests. And the result out of that is, well, you get a new type of forest that starts to emerge. The mm. tree density is like much higher than it ever mm. was uh, in history, because the reality was the wildfires were just something that would happen. Mm. You would always have little wildfires that would spring mm. up. Now we have massive wildfires mm. and if you combine that with climate change you mm -hmm. know as well you know it's you know it's even worse so you get this you know you have this effect where well i'm trying to improve this situation of course mm -hmm. i don't want fires mm -hmm. but by not having the fires for decades mm -hmm. i build up you know this like uh, this forest you know structure where oh a new reality emerges and i get even worse forest mm. fires I would have had before yeah no that's fascinating I've heard I've heard of similar I don't know if it's similar stories in in Australia with um mm. again I don't know if this is true or not but apparently um that it was quite customary for uh, the aboriginal cultures to kind of do controlled burns because they kind of understood the, the kind of how the how how that helped prevent the bigger burns and then when you know kind of other government departments took over and kind of changed their approach. This is what then led up to these, these forests getting unmanageable and causing these kind of super, super fires because that natural um, burning hadn't taken place anymore. Um, yeah. Yeah. If you, if you have a situation where there are people who have, you know, successfully li lived in an area for 
thousands of years. Right, right. And then a new group comes in and says, ah, we have a better idea. How are we going right. to do this? You should be a little hesitant. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, that, that is, that is so true. And I, I guess it, a lot of this all comes back to, doesn't it? The kind of the way we think as humans and why we end up making so many of these kind of silly mistakes. And I, I guess a lot of this stuff and the clues in the name, you know, unintended consequences, we don't set out necessarily to deliberately do these things, but it's, it's kind of the way we're, we're kind of wired. And um, I mean, I know you talk about this a lot, but kind of, you know, what is it about the way we think as, as humans that kind of makes us so susceptible to, to making these mistakes? You know, um, for the majority of human history, we were pretty localized groups, you know, small groups of people living together um, in, you know, the, the world population was dramatically lower than it was. Mm. Um, our ability to affect something that happens at distance was very small. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we didn't necessarily need to develop that skill because as long as we understood our immediate environment and, you know, in your example from Australia with, you know, uh, controlled burns, you know, mm -hmm. uh, people were doing in the past, you know, that was, that was sufficient and you mm -hmm. could actually learn a lot, you know, from the environment. Um, or you might even say like, you know, if there was a local group that did not take that approach, they right. would, you know, not survive, you right. know, to, uh, you know, to, you know, to, you know, to keep going. Um, but, you know, now it is easy, you know, for um, a new group to show up or somebody have an idea. It's like, oh, I'm going to create this new policy. Mm. I don't need to consider what's going to happen on the other side of the world or the other side of the country, because I'm not going to be penalized for that. Right. Or even if I am, what, what's the worst that could happen? I lose the job or I don't get the bonus. I, um, I might create like billions of dollars of cost. And yet there's a tiny penalty that I personally mm. pay. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so like now that extra connectiveness that we mm. have, that ability to you know, scale up very quickly, um, you know, we, all of those causes of unintended consequences, mm. You know, um, uh, they can actually come about much more rapidly mm. than they could in the past. Mm. Um, so, yeah. So, to me, it 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 says, okay, well, where we are acting intentionally, we should have this you know this thought process in place. At mm. least try to avoid the easy ones. Mm. You know, the easy ones to avoid. Um, you know, at least have that um, you know that uh, that perspective. Because otherwise, you know, uh, we have good intentions, but, you know, mm. we, we get bad outcomes. Mm. And I don't think anybody would really want that. You know? mm. Yeah, I mean, I guess it works both ways, doesn't it? In the sense that, you know, technology and the fact that the world is kind of globally connected makes it easier to do things quickly, which in some cases is a positive thing. Um, you know, you could argue maybe that... Um, you know, one of the reasons the vaccines were developed so quickly was because there was a huge amount of global cooperation that, you know, things like the internet and other technologies kind of facilitated. Um, but then by the same token, on the flip side, you could say the, the kind of relative affordability of international air travel meant that this thing was spread much more effectively, much more quickly. Whereas, you know, 500 years ago, it, it would have been much more localized because people simply mm -hmm. wouldn't have been able to, to travel with the, with the virus. So there's definitely something yeah. really big, as you say, in this kind of local to global or, you know, that, that we, we were born into a world where our, our, our view of the world was very kind of very small um, and, and very kind of, I guess, in some ways predictable. It was very easy to see the cause and effect um, and, and now we've kind of moved to this massive play playground where, you know, I can do something in New York and it can end up impacting someone in, in China. Um, but it's very mm -hmm. hard for our brains to kind of yeah, make that, is. make that jump. It is. Yeah. It's almost like if, if we had figured out communications technology and then we had just never figured out like air flight, right. you know, uh, we could have, you know, had the information going back and forth about 
you know, coronavirus. Exactly. And, and yet we would just, it would take months to travel like to, you know, to the other side of the world. So we, we, would, we would have been, you know, uh, you know, ironically protected in that, uh, yeah. in that alternate, you know, uh, world, you know, yeah. example. But, um, but yeah, like, um, yeah, like, like you said, yeah, so much more international travel, um, more affordable, like, and, and, and also coming from, you know, you know, just, um, you know, populations that weren't formerly traveling all that much just mm. a generation ago. Mm. Um, like I remember comparing travel volume between China and the US back during the SARS mm. you know, time of, of 2003 or so mm -hmm. uh, to um, you know, the volume uh, 2020, if I remember correctly, it's about a 20 times increase. Wow. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it's um, in terms of volume of people or, or just trying to coordinate a like a, a testing regimen before you get on a flight it's um becomes very difficult yeah no that's that's fascinating and I, I guess also tied into that point isn't there about um you know the the way we think normally is you know is in a kind of a linear a linear mm -hmm. fashion and yet when we start to get into you know complex systems and all of this stuff we move away from the linear thinking and we're just not set up to think in any other way. And I remember, you know, very early at the start of the, the coronavirus stuff, you know, when you were kind of watching the early data points, it was very hard to get too concerned because it, things seemed to be, you know, moving in a slow, steady, linear mm -hmm. fashion. And then obviously you realize that this was an exponential <laughs> model and, and suddenly mm -hmm. it just goes up and you, you can't actually compute in your own mind um, how that's happening. And I guess a lot of this stuff, you know, is, is because of the way we, we think um, and, and, and our limitations. Yeah, and, and also, again, ironically, probably the, the previous example of SARS being mm. not as big of a deal as people thought at the time, mm. in terms of deaths, in terms of spreading internationally. Mm. Um, I, I wonder if that former example led people, say, outside of, you know, East Asia to say, okay, relax, this is not going to be as bad as, as we That's... thought. Uh, whereas if this had, if the order had been reversed, you know, if coronavirus had instead been 2003 and then SARS was now, you know, emerging, um, you know, we would probably be overreacting, you know, to, uh, you know, to SARS. And yeah, say, oh, no, here it is again. That's um, a really, really interesting thought experiment. Yeah, I, um, I hadn't, hadn't thought about that. But yeah, that makes, makes a lot of sense. I mean, I remember being, I, was, I think I was in Japan at the time that, that SARS happened. So I was following it quite closely because obviously it wasn't too far away geographically from, from Hong Kong. But I, I, I do also think, and you know, only get this from the news. And so you never know 100%, but it seemed that those areas, you know, Hong Kong, China, Taiwan, Japan, that, you know, maybe SARS was a, a bit more in their mind as a, as a more recent memory seemed to mm -hmm. certainly in initial stages, take things more seriously compared to, to some, some of the countries, um, other, other countries in the world. And I thought that was interesting. So I, I guess, again, that's another point that, you know, we, yeah. we, we judge it relative to our most recent memory or understanding because it's a, such a foreign concept otherwise to try and you know model how a pandemic might, might unfold in your brain it no it is true like um when i was working in hong kong you know, uh seven eight years ago it was you know even then it was very normal for people who had a cold to mm -hmm. wear a mask mm -hmm. if they, they were going into yeah. the office um not at all a habit that you know we had formed you know in well just about every other part of the world but um, but you're right, and, and that was not something that people were doing, you know, in mm. Hong Kong, you know, pre like like in the '90s, like they were, you know, that was not like a, a normal, mm -hmm. a normal, uh, you know, activity. So yeah, there there might have been um, some uh, some benefit just with the recency mm. of you know of mm. SARS in in those countries. Yeah, and I guess your point about the mask, <clears throat> the masks as well is a a good one too in terms of, I guess that's could could be argued to potentially be an unexpected benefit moving forward in mm -hmm. in other countries like you know it might be the case that mask wearing for things like the you know the common cold or flu becomes you know something that's 
that's you know a done thing as opposed to a an, a, a weird type of behavior um and, and maybe the same with people you know washing their hands more frequently i mean i've even been thinking about will it impact say for example the kind of tradition of handshaking you know in many countries mm -hmm. like um you know i remember in the beginning we were all sort of told you know don't shake hands and wash your hands and, and, and now it's sort of not having shaken anyone's hand for for so long now i wonder if it's going to be this this new type of behavior um mm. but then when i started to think about it maybe it's not such, such a bad thing because you know when you think about it shaking someone else's hand is quite mm. unhygienic especially as you don't know where either of you have you know come from in um, recently or who else you've been in contact with so um yeah it's yeah it's, it's interesting how it's forced us to kind of re rethink about behaviors and um yeah no, so true i wonder if something else will replace that because uh you know is it just the elbow bump is right it, uh, yeah yeah we're all going to be elbow else? bumping or yeah, yeah exactly um yeah. no i mean it's 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 really fascinating and i i guess you know what what would be your having studied all of this like you know ways in which we can train ourselves to think about this stuff more um i i mean i guess lots of people listening to this will will have jobs which you know they're mm -hmm. making decisions which may have unintended unintended consequences or or impacts beyond what they they kind of might assume and i was just wondering what are the types of of ways of thinking or skills that um you know, someone might think of acquiring if they're aware that their job might entail um, unintended consequences. Sure. Um, my short list would be, um, so for the start, make sure that you're going back to primary sources when you're, if you're looking at data, you know, mm. um, rather than like a, a secondary source that's already been cherry picked, you know, you know uh, for a certain story. Um, try to go back to primary sources where you can uh, note who also has the interest in seeing a particular outcome. So if there's a bias in, you know, what story, what data is being presented, um, just note that because, you know, there are many, you know, like, you know, today there are many um, examples of companies, um, governments who want a certain outcome and therefore tell a certain story around that or present, you know, certain data. Mm -hmm. um, so make that note. Um, try to map the systems out. So that literally might mean try to draw out what the, the parts of that system are, how they are connected. Mm -hmm. And that will start your mind going into, well, okay, therefore, if I change this one piece, what do I think is going to happen? Mm -hmm. Or if this new piece is introduced, what, what do I think is going to happen? Mm -hmm. um, and then go to the very long list of uh, unintended consequences. I mean, certainly just the last year is packed with them. Um, go to that list and you can look, you know, you can look at either, you know, we've been talking about, you know, coronavirus, but you can look at the, um, the early uh, interpretation of what was going to happen, say about 12 months ago or 13 months ago, um, compare the predictions that, a number of people made well oh this is not such a big deal oh it's like flu oh, you know, um you know, go to those examples and just realize well even you know the experts have difficulty with this right what might i have done you know in that situation to try to get a better read on what could happen well and you know many of the things that we touched upon well okay this is uh exponential growth right it's mm -hmm. not like I can't compare COVID to um, heart disease because I stand next to somebody who has heart disease. I don't give it to them, right? Right. Um, I don't get it, but uh, I do <laughs> if it's uh, a, a COVID example. Right? The travel, uh, international travel, domestic travel, like have all like you know, you know, radically uh, increased you know over the last generation. Yeah. Um, and uh, also, interestingly, at least from where I was sitting, you know, it was an election year. Mm -hmm. So there were a lot of things around the, you know, uh, you know, trust issue, I say, probably came up in ways that it would not have come up 
if it had emerged a year or two earlier or a year or two later, mm-hmm. um, you know, for the worse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, I think, you know, 2020, at least for the U.S., um, and the U.S. is a, a place that has struggled to deal with it in terms of, you know, public policy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, I, I think, you know, just appreciating, okay, part of that system that I'm mapping out must include the weirdness of a very weird election year. Yep. Um, and if it had been another time, you know, I, the response might have been, you know, different. Um, so yeah, like that, that's probably my short list. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, there's there's a never-ending, you know, list of examples if you want to learn from unintended consequences. And the next step in applying it to your own work or your own mm-hmm. thinking is to try to map some of these systems out. You know, try to uh, look at a new emerging um, uh, issue and then see, okay, what do I expect is going to happen mm. based on how I understand the system? Mm. You'll never be perfect. I'm not saying like you're going to become some right. perfect forecaster, yeah, yeah. But, um, but I think you'll at least uh, maybe be clued into some areas that you might look at uh, right. a little more actively. And you might also just say, okay, well, if I am going to take some act within my company, you know, within, you know, whatever my mm. community, um, how might I think of what my actions are going to do? Mm. Um, or if I'm looking at some like new policy or new tech, mm-hmm. how might I think it's going to actually impact, you know, me down the road? Right. No. And I, I guess that's, you know, just taking that step is something that, most people don't do right and as you say you're never going to be able to predict the future no one can but you can probably identify just by you know mapping it out what some of the key i guess obvious areas that you could impact and you know mitigate that or work around work around those um and uh yeah well we've we've managed to talk about brats feral pigs um (laughs) cane toads uber everything um and to, yeah, to just to, to finish up, um, it's always great to ask uh, for if, if you have any um, book recommendations in the sense that uh, if someone listening to this podcast has kind of obviously clicked on it because they like the sound of, of what we're discussing, but perhaps doesn't know, you know, much about the topic. Is there, is there any, any books or other resources you, you recommend as a kind of a good, good entry point? There's a book by John Gall, and the original title is System Antics. I think it's been, uh, like, it was uh, later updated, um, and uh, has the title, The Systems Bible. Okay. Um, very readable, um, funny, you know, I've, I've actually, over time, I've written about a, a few parts of that book, but that was one of the first, you know, books that I, um, you know, I found was helpful to me um in thinking about systems and he presents like a number of uh, laws and gives a number of examples you know from the past the, bu- the book was maybe written about 50 years ago mm-hmm. um but i would uh, go to that one um donella meadows as well right. has written about systems quite a lot um so yeah she's you know like uh, systems thinking um, yeah that's right um those are two good ones to start with mm-hmm. um and i've kind of found um you know, after that, I would, um, I would often just end up, you know, like reacting to something in current events, you know, something mm-hmm. in the news mm-hmm. that um, would kind of remind me of, you know, one of these other, you know, causes of unintended consequences. And um, it would kind of take me off on this, you know, um, personal you know, research that I do. Yeah, which is the be- the beauty of the internet, isn't it? You kind of can get lost so quickly. I mean, I love the sound of that John John Gall book, um, and especially as you said that it's kind of easy easy to read and got good stories and and, and funny. I think it's so hard. I mean, I, d- I don't know about you, but when you're kind of getting interested in a new topic, especially if it sounds like a bit technical or, mm. or complicated, like this one can do when you first read about it, it's it's really hard to find those books that do do that well you know that tell the stories make it funny make it interesting um mm-hmm. often they're very kind of academic which can kind of turn right. people off but um that, that sounds like a great one so um so thank you sure 
And yeah. Um, yeah, of course, there's also all of the brilliant things that you've written on your your blog, and we'll put a link to that. Um, and yeah, all that remains is to say thank you, thank you so much for for, for today, and it was great talking to you. And um, yeah, I learned learned a lot. Thanks, Jake. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us for this week's edition of the 42 Courses podcast. We'll be back soon with more interviews from some of the world's greatest and most interesting minds. In the meantime, you can find more nuggets of wisdom by following us on Instagram and Twitter at 42 Courses or check out our website 42courses.com to browse all our courses we offer. Have a marvellous week and chat again soon.